Scott Peterson, welcome to the Midnight Founders Podcast. Jake and I are super excited to have you here. Thanks for taking some time with us today. Delighted to be here. Truly an honor to, to be here on this wonderful podcast. Thank you for inviting me. We're honored cool. to have you. Yeah. And who doesn't know Scott Peterson? So now it's just going to be incredible to hear his story and some of his wisdom. So thanks for, for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's get started, Scott. Um, and, and, and full disclosure, I have the opportunity to get to work with Scott on a day-to-day basis, and I'm learning so much, and I love that. But there was a lot of history before that happened at Rev Road, so we'd love to hear some of your entrepreneur journey, Scott. Can you kind of walk us through some of that? Where yeah. did it all begin, and how did it happen? I, that's a good question. And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs want to understand the beginning, and the beginning is always some sort of preparation. So my early career was in sales and had the opportunity of working for one of the uh, largest companies in its particular uh, field. And I became the top performing salesperson in my division in the first five months uh, of having been there. Doesn't surprise me. I learned an awful lot about um, what it takes to succeed in sales, to communicate with customers, to respect customers, to um, understand really what their needs are instead of my needs. And I think that uh, ability to uh, ask enough of the right questions, and then they really had a great deal of trust because I always did what I said that I was going to do. I always kept my commitments, and I could outwork people. And when you put those two things together, then the skill part comes together later, and it did. And, um, and so that was sort of how my career got started. And, and once I saw that I had the capability of building independent sales territories in, uh, in numerous settings, uh, having then led sales forces, uh, become a, a national sales manager uh, for an orthopedic company, uh, starting new territories, I figured that if I can do this, I can do it on my own. So that led me to my first company when I joined uh, a dear friend, 17 years older than me, but a dear friend nonetheless. And we started a medical and safety products company for business and industry. So then we took that company and we grew it over a period of nine years. And What was the name of that one? Life and Safety Products. Cool. And um, we got approached by a company called Centos, the uniform people. Today they're... I think roughly about a $10 billion company. Huge, yeah. And, um, and so they, they acquired our company back in 1997. And so that was your uh, first exit? That was my first exit, yep, about Great. 25 years ago. Wow. And then, and then from there, you had several more, right? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Uh, uh, being a serial entrepreneur is, is no easy journey because each um, entrepreneurial endeavor has its own unique challenges and problems so you think that because you have a lot of experience or you had experience in making or or having one success that it would be easy to duplicate it but i found that actually after every single uh, company all six of them that i said to myself self if you really knew what you were going to get into you probably would have never done it and so (laughs) it's a really good thing that you didn't know that because you would have quit before you got started. <laughs> Maybe even Marilyn too. Maybe had she known it, she wouldn't have let you do it either, right? 
You know, I think that's one of the things that is critically important in um, an entrepreneurial journey is a supportive partner. If you do not have a supportive partner, you really don't want to go down that road because it is a lot of work and they sacrifice, they suffer with you, uh, they go through all of the uh, challenges of the startup. Uh, and if they don't have that kind of faith and trust that the end will be better than the beginning, you probably don't want to go down that road as well. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I really like what you said at the beginning about uh, about sales being uh, a key to entrepreneurship, because I think it is. I think every entrepreneur, to some extent, is also a salesman in many aspects of the business. Or right? saleswoman, you know, depending yeah. on sales the person. Yeah. Salesperson. Yeah. Salesperson, sorry. Uh, but, but also this idea that you outworked a lot of the people that you're with. I think those two things combined are really a lot of the success that people see as entrepreneurs are yeah. just really tied to those two things. And it embodies kind of what we've tried to highlight with this podcast. Yep. I think that uh, this is something that uh, the... Um, the rising generation needs to understand. Um, we live in a society today that is largely affluent, and it's taken away a lot of the challenges uh, that individuals used to face. Uh, what I mean by that is um, growing up um, in a family with, um, where my father was the only uh, breadwinner. He was a high school AP English teacher. My mother didn't work. There were seven of us. Um, I mean, if you didn't work when you were 10 or 11 years old, you basically couldn't go to the movies and you couldn't buy anything at all. You couldn't take yourself to lunch, and there certainly wasn't enough money, household money, to pay for that. And so having difficult experiences, challenging experiences that force you to um, recognize that hard work um, that being focused, that being in competitive environments, uh, they're all healthy, actually. There's nothing wrong with being in a competitive environment. Uh, we need to be able to know that um, other people are working hard, other people are trying to do good things, and if we're not out there trying to do good things, we can't separate ourselves from others, and employers can't promote us, and we can't really then expect to receive the things that, uh, that we hope for. Um, and so having those uh, early journeys of working, for example, when I was 13 years old, I made onion rings. Now, I want to tell you that that is really not a very pretty job. Um, so that you would put those onions through a slicer, and then you'd separate those rings into individual onions into, in, into individual rings, and so your hands would smell, your fingernail beds would turn yellow, your hair didn't smell well. And if you're 13 years old and, you know, you like You're crying girls, the entire time. And I did, you know, then you say, <laughs> that's not a very good thing. Um, and, yeah, the crying, it only happened uh, uh, for the first 15 minutes. And then it was over. <laughs> and then your you eyes, used to it. Your eyes would adjust. But you did have a good cry for 15 <laughs> minutes where your eyes would literally sting every single day that you went to work. And you were paid based on your speed and your volume. You weren't paid by the hour. And so it really put you into a situation where you said, I got to hustle if I'm going to make uh, a living. And then having to buy your own car and buy your own gas and 
um, live with just maybe two pair of Levi's for an entire school year. I mean, these are challenges that a lot of people don't face today. And admittedly, there are, of course, many places in the country and in, um, uh, and in inner cities where this absolutely still is the case today. But my point is that we have to be faced with hard things so that we know that we can endure the challenges that lie ahead. So I, I always appreciate uh, the beginnings they made, uh, you know, what is uh, what has occurred today possible. Does that translate into um, the type of businesses that you guys are interested in uh, at Rev Road, seeing that they've bootstrapped? You know, so bootstrapping for an extended period of time, does that kind of validate the the founders um, when you're evaluating whether or not to bring on a portfolio company at RevRoad? I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that. I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear yours. Yeah, uh, thanks, AJ. I think that um, whenever we look at any investment into a, a new portfolio company, we're looking at the leadership team because it's not their idea and it's not even their business model that uh, is nearly as appealing as the individual founders, their commitment, their integrity, their work ethic, their experience, their intelligence, their prior preparation, and their, and to your point, if they have bootstrapped and already gone through hard times and already experienced founder problems, it's just like a marriage, you know, um, two people coming together or partners coming together, they have to learn to work together. They have to learn um, how to deal with the vagaries of life and differences of opinion and how things should be done and how to have a fair fight. And uh, uh, because that's all an important part of company building is that we have different opinions and we can't be disrespectful. We can't be, um, you know, we can't lack humility. We have to be able to understand that all the different points of view that we're hearing, they matter. And then we uh, have learned how to communicate together and work together and to solve those problems so that as new problems and new challenges and growth occur, that we don't blow up as a team. So yeah, we look for those things. It's the leadership team and the experiences they've, they've had uh, and our belief that they are gonna be able to take this company uh, as I like to say, so to speak, across the River Jordan and into the promised land. Yeah, well said. I mean, I, I agree with that 100%. Over 55 companies, it's interesting that we originally started out with the theory of, okay, let's look at the business model, let's look at product market fit, and those things are really important, but it seems like it comes down to who are the founders and what are they made of every time. And that's the, the, the deciding factor on whether they're going to be successful or not. Absolutely, that's correct, because um, business models um, are not static. And, and so whatever you think uh, is your business model in the beginning may very well not turn out to be the business model in the end. And so as, you, um, as your business evolves, um, because, and as you evolve, it's your ability to be able to, um, to make those changes and, um, and to have the commitment uh, to be able to make those changes and not fall in love with your idea or your early business model, but to fall in love with 
um, the answers, the truth, to yeah. fall in love with really validating uh, your business. Yeah. And so, yeah, we often say at Rev Road, you can always take, um, you know, a B business idea and with an A team make it work, but you can't always do that vice versa. Yeah, because they'll know? figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. that's why you need the leadership team. They will figure out the challenges to the problems. Yeah. They will evolve and they will make the things happen that need yeah. to so that you succeed one day. So grit is in your underwriting metrics grit. for... That's right. <laughs> grit, growth, and gratitude. You yeah. got it. Yeah, and that's right a real it. thing. Grit is not, you know, you're not born with grit. You develop grit and you Good intentionally point. develop grit. Mm-hmm. My youngest... Uh, boy at home my wife babies him you know because it's our it's our youngest and so whenever she turns her back i'm always like poking him and giving him a heart <laughs> trying it. to build some grit in him so you're yeah, like, come think, on he's the son he's yeah. gotta be the grit. <laughs> he's, yeah he's gotta be tough so yeah, the yeah. easy path is not the successful path yeah right. i think grit i think you know i i've learned that from you guys you know coming into the office for the last eight months or whatever uh, seeing grit just preached and preached and preached at Red Road. I think it's, I think it's super important. Well then, okay, Scott, so you had your first exit and, and then you had a few more. Um, wh- what was your biggest exit and, and then what launched you into the Rollins Center? That's what we want to learn next. So I think my current venture actually, uh, which I no longer run, of course, or I wouldn't be able to be at uh, Rev Road, but uh, is uh, our largest venture. We've been building it for 14 years. We're in the insurance space, mm. and we have a unique niche that uh, we've identified. Our biggest customers are in the hospital. We work with uh, employers that employ more than 5,000 employees, and we onboard them in their employee benefits. And we have a unique model of delivery and and so that we just have uh, have been highly successful, and um, that's probably going to be the most successful. But they've all generated um, truly meaningful uh, exits. So um, making that decision was a hard one uh, to go to the next company because it's like, all right, I've made this money. It took me nine years to do it. Now I'm going to drop five hundred thousand dollars here. And I'm going to start this new business. And this particular one uh, started out as Planet Salvage, but then became APU Solutions, where we bring together the supply chain of the property casualty insurance companies, the collision repair shops, and the salvage recyclers to be able to help insurance companies save costs on repair parts uh, when vehicles need to be repaired. So. Um, it was transformative. It was, um, you know, there were 13 companies at the time doing something similar. Uh, Twelve of them went this way. We went this way. And as Robert Frost said, the road not taken proved to be uh, effective for us, but it was a long and arduous journey that uh, was always in doubt until the end and uh, took us 12 years to get to an exit. Cool. Uh, but we had a good exit when it came. So and that was recent. Uh, 2012 was when we actually sold that business, and in the middle of it, I actually said uh, because we learned uh, because one of the things that we didn't know back in those days was the lean startup, uh, and so uh, when I first read uh, Stephen Blank's book, The Four Steps to the Epiphany, it was like I had this major aha moment. That was the epiphany. And I said to myself, geez, if only I would have known these things (laughs) 
back in, uh, in 2000 when I started APU Solutions. But <clears throat> one of the things that I learned early on uh, within about oh, two years is that we were never going to be able to scale APU Solutions until the entire industry went wireless. Well, that just started in 2000, and nobody knew when that was going to, you know, how long that would take. As it turned out, it was about six years. And so we were six years to profitability. So in the meantime, I went to one of my business partners, our senior VP of sales, and said, I think you should run the company. I'll continue to invest, and so will our uh, other three investors, because there were basically four of us that were funding the company. And uh, I'm going to go do something else. And uh, so uh, with uh, uh, my friend Vance Barrett, we, we started Best Final. Uh, and um, Vance was uh, very talented in his field and uh, needed some capital and maybe some growth expertise. But he was truly a talented uh, individual in his field. And, and we uh, were able to grow Best Final together over a period of about... Uh, Oh, it took us three years to become the uh, largest in the industry. It took us um, six years to become three times larger than wow. any of our competitors. So, Scott, that's always curious to me is you went from insurance to vinyl fences. I mean, there's no relation there whatsoever, right? So how did you, how did you do that? How did you find that opportunity and then, and then get up to speed so fast where you could make that such a success? What's really interesting is that, you know, technology is fraught with unknowns. And when you've been in those unknowns for the past uh, couple, three years, and you're sitting back saying, wow, we have a lot of learning to take place. But I understand this business. It's very simple. And the only thing that we have to do is out-execute uh, and out-understand uh, our industry for uh, this particular business, which is knowable. It's not like there's so many things that are unknowable, which in early stage technology companies, there are, frankly. So it was attractive to take a non-tech business and to bring professional uh, business management expertise. And um, so uh, we had uh, a couple of other really wonderful partners uh, in the journey, and we had uh, a wonderful outcome. Um, Great. Just five years later. Great. That's amazing. And that led you into the Rollins Center? Is that what was next in the journey? Actually, no. That's when uh, when I finally, and we had, had sold Best Final, and I had made the decision that um, I had uh, many opportunities in front of me, and one of them was an opportunity to partner with my dear friend, Don Morris, who lived back in Kansas City, where I had spent 20 years of my early career. And uh, we talked about his company, and he was uh, outstanding in the insurance side, but he didn't really understand the business side. So he was having a little bit of difficulty scaling, and so I agreed uh, to join him. Uh, and so I took over in a, uh, as chairman of the board and uh, executive chairman, and, and then I took the opportunity to sort of take the company apart piece by piece and put it back together in terms of systems processes, repeatable best practices, training our uh, business development team and our um, internal teams to be more efficient. And so we set up the company and prepared it for scaling. And after we had achieved that and we really had started to achieve some rapid growth, 
hired the right people. Then the dean of uh, Brigham Young University's Marriott School approached me about running uh, the Rollins Center, where I had been a volunteer for 10 years previous. And after some soul searching, I thought, you know, I'm in a good spot. I know that the company could use me still, but I also know that giving back is a huge part of being an entrepreneur, I feel. And it had been very good to me, and I wanted to be able to give back to the rising generation. As you know, you don't go to a, a university for pay, certainly not uh, <laughs> if you're a non-academic. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, I talked to my wife about it. We agreed that it would be a good opportunity to give back, and so we did, and we had an amazing run. Yeah, for 10 years or so. For 10 years, yep. The, we were the first university in the world to adopt the lean startup, lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, right behind us were Stanford, Harvard, and so forth. So being the first, you know, meant that there was a lot of really learning. Because it's, it's not like that, you know, I was Steve Blank. I mean, he had thought about this a long time and written, you know, a very thoughtful book about it and was an early pioneer to be sure. And I had one colleague that said, you know, Scott, this is probably just a fad. And I said, no, I've actually lived this journey enough that I know that this is not a fad. I did it, I did it, I didn't just talk about it, I did it. <laughs> and, and so uh, with some boldness, we changed everything um, and went to our uh, professors and introduced them uh, to those materials. Now, in fairness, we had a, incredible uh, young professor by the name of Nathan Furr who had come over from Stanford and worked with, uh, uh, worked with um, Stephen Blank. And so I went to him and, and said, you know, I've sort of identified four areas upon which I want to build the program, and one of them has to be that we have to have the best academic program in the country uh, to do that. And, you know, as I've observed the current curriculum, we're just not there. What are your thoughts? And being a new PhD, you know, then he talked to me about his book, which was Nail It, Then Scale It, uh, that he had done with Paul Alstrom, uh, one of our uh, uh, fantastic local entrepreneurs who has a fund and yeah. a good friend, um, very accomplished. And at any rate, um, I read their book, and I liked it better than Steve's because Steve's was – you know, a dry read and very deep and dense, and they had simplified it and uh, put it in language that, you know, lay people could understand even better. And, and then leveraging from that point, I had some thoughts come to my mind. I like to think that they were inspired, but the idea that uh, what is an easy way to teach entrepreneurship that can be replicated over and over and over again uh, that students can understand and that they don't have to go to the business school, they don't have to be an entrepreneurship major. I can sit down with them for 30 minutes and help them understand early an early product uh, development roadmap and how that falls uh, in place with the lean startup and then how it, you know, the books that uh, I can connect them with. Um, so there are a lot of things that we did early on with the program, had some great... Um, you know, partners, uh, Steve Little and John Richards and others that were really uh, helpful in building the program. And so we were ranked in the top uh, 
two or three, all 10 years that Incredible. I was there. And uh, in fact, I like to say that, you know, if they really looked empirically at the numbers that we might have been the top program in the entire country, because over the last five years that I was there, our teams um, raised three and a half billion in venture capital, yeah. and they exited with 13 and a half billion in exit. So it was a wildly successful program, uh, working with really great people, but probably most of all, working with some of the brightest minds and best students on planet Earth. It was really a great experience. Thanks for sharing that. So what advice do you have for, because you were in a role that is similar to what Brianna talked about uh, from UVU, similar to what I'm, I'm in right now, an entrepreneurship role where you come into an organization that exists that has kind of a hierarchy or a chain of command, and you're making these structural changes to the way that the business has been operating. So, but entrepreneurs have to do that. They have a board of directors or they have yeah. co-founders or whatever. So what, or they have investors or, you know, VCs that have uh, given money to the company. So what advice do you have for someone in that position that needs to kind of get other people on board with their vision and, and sell help it. execute it? Sell yeah, the vision. And, uh, to your point, selling works across all of the channels. We have to, to, to learn to be able to sell to sell products. We have to learn to sell to investors. We have to learn to sell to employers. We have to learn to sell to get a job. Uh, there, everything that we do actually involves communication at its core and at high levels. And and you know, being um, someone who is well trained in sales doesn't mean that we are well trained in fooling people. It means that we're well trained in being able to convey ideas to take what's out of our head and actually put it into words or on paper uh, in a way that they understand it the way that we understand it. And this is really, I, I, I want to make this point, that if you knew what was in my head and I could convey it as well as I understand it with words, there is no way that you would not make the decision to do X. So when I think specifically about your, your question, Jake, it's that, you know, I'm not going to go to my boss, so to speak, or to the board of directors or to the executive team and say, hey, I think this would be a great idea to do this. Uh, that would be like, you know, saying, hey, I've got this great business idea. Let's go get a lot of money and do it without going through the rigor of the lean startup. So if I actually take lean principles and I do the hard work of, validation and testing, then I can take those ideas and that empirical data and present it to my team, to the leadership team, and say, this is riskless because I've taken the risk out of it. I have gone through every single um, scenario and, and done, you know, hundreds of interviews, uh, either by, um, by surveys or better, of course, face-to-face -face interviews with real customers. And by doing that, it takes a, a lot of the, the risk out of that conversation, and it's easier for them to make a decision. Uh, and of course, it involves communication and sales. Well said. Well, on a, on a little bit of a lighter note, Scott, I mean, you've gone through all these different crazy entrepreneurial journeys. What's, what's the craziest story you've ever 
had happened to you <laughs> or, or a crazy story that would just blow our minds. <laughs> I should actually get my book of crazy stories, <laughs> uh, but one that I uh, never forget, uh, that I always, I just think about this still sometimes today and say, wow, that was like unbelievable. So I'm, uh, the year is uh, 2000. And it's in May of 2000. So anyone who remembers that month in particular, it was the beginning of the end of the internet bubble. Um, so April 13th, I'll never forget that day, was the day that the tech uh, markets dropped 318 points. Crashed. Just crashed. And, and so all the funding that was plentiful and the valuations that were plentiful all of a sudden just completely dried up. And we had uh, an $8 million commitment uh, from a, uh, a funding source. And, um, and so I'm on vacation, and it's uh, my 20th wedding anniversary. We're in uh, Paris, France, of all places. And I get a call from my co-founder, and he says, Scott, you will not believe it. But our other two partners, they went down to Spring, um, Springville, Springfield, Missouri, and they um, emptied our bank account. And they were officers in the company, and they could, and they did. And, uh, no way. And, you know, you can sue them, and we could have, and maybe we should have. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're raising capital and you have existing lawsuits, it's not possible, or you just can't get the money. So we had very little left in the bank account, and I had the um, difficult responsibility, number one, to enjoy the rest of my vacation. I just want you to think about that. Well, they've just emptied your bank. It doesn't mean that I was out of money, but the company was out of money, and I had to determine you know, how to take the company forward. We were still very early stage, and what had happened was the, uh, and the, and the thing that precipitated them taking the money out was that the uh, the venture firm that had funded us had withdrawn uh, their uh, all but the first million dollars, which we had largely spent, mm-hmm. and uh, and so now it's a bad we, day. we didn't have money, uh, and uh, be, the the company funding us had withdrawn that could have sued them, but once again, to what to what end? Um, and then we not only didn't have the money to go forward, but the money that we did have that was my money, money that I had put into the company, was taken out by these two individuals. Oh, so they took money you had raised and some of your investment money, they, your personal investment money. Yeah, they did. So there was four of you, and the two were in collusion, and then you and the other one there were, were left. There were two major founders, and then there were two uh, junior co-founders that were officers. Um, and so when I came back from vacation, I gathered our team of... Um, 19 uh, people uh, together, and it was a moment of leadership, I'll call it. And I told him, I said, we can't control what happened in this moment, but we can control our destiny going forward. We are going to change this industry, and we will succeed, and we will raise the capital necessary. And so whatever you need from me, you let me know, but we're here to finish the job that we started. And so then I um, went and raised more capital. Um, 
I made pitches, for example, in front of a group called the, the Bi-State Investment Group. Uh, it was called the Bi-State Investment Group because they were Missouri and Kansas touching, and that's what they called it. And so I'm pitching uh, another one of those stories in front of, uh, and this is just like a month after this experience, to these uh, angel investors. And uh, after, by the way, they did fund us, uh, as well as others. And afterwards, my, one of my uh, other uh, tech founders, he said, Scott, were you like nervous or something? Because like you were really shaking. And I said, no, I wasn't nervous a bit. You know me, I'm not nervous in front of a group of people. Uh, he said, no, Scott, like you were shaking. And I said, no, I think you're completely up in the night. I was not uh, shaking. He said, no, Scott, you were shaking. And I held out my hand and I said, I'm not shaking. I looked at my hand and my hand was shaking. And I went to the doctor and I, he said, Scott, you're just freaked out. <laughs> you have just got so much stress that it is uh, responding in your body in this, this shaking. So I introduced an you know, a increased workout schedule. And um, anyway, it went away. Um, it took time, but we were able to find the investors necessary to solve the problem. But believe me, it was bleak. Uh, wow. And there were... Wow. There was, it was definitely something that uh, the jury was still out. We had not nearly succeeded. We had not nearly yet found product market fit. And it was this grit and determination and never say die and burning the bridges, burning the ships. Uh, when you burnt the ships and you burnt the bridges, the only way is to figure things out. And so uh, our remaining, uh, you know, journey was figuring things out and I suppose that if I would have had uh, been a bad sport about the whole thing I would have uh, taken those two individuals that had taken money out and I would have had a t-shirt and I would have put them right on said you guys really missed out <laughs> if you'd have just hung in there you would have had a nice exit and uh and you didn't so to this day you've never heard from them no I mean obviously you were going through some some incredibly stressful times. And, and it sounds, you know, the more podcasts we do, the more interviews we do with all these different entrepreneurs, it sounds like that's pretty much par for the course. I mean, yeah. every start, every story is different, but what advice do you have or what, you know, tips do you have for the entrepreneur that's in the throes of it right now? That's kind of in those stressful situations. It sounds like one thing you went to was, was exercise. Uh, but what, what other tips do you have for them? You need to have a lot of confidence um, as an entrepreneur. You need to know that you have the capability of doing what you thought you originally were going to be able to do. And since I had done the sales territories like I talked about earlier, and, and then I had one unique experience previous to starting my own company where I uh, was elevated to the VP and general manager, uh, still mostly responsible for sales, but I really had... Uh, the whole company. And so I learned about supply chain and I learned about inventory turns and I learned about managing people and setting more budgets and goals, roles, responsibilities, all those sorts of things. And so I actually had a lot of confidence in my ability to, um, uh, to start a company and build it and make it successful. But I think I always, I always like to think about, um, what are the skill sets that you've got to have? Um, you, you have to have selling skills. You have to find someone that 
as technical skills because you're not going to be good at everything. You're going to have to find people that are good and gifted in marketing and branding. You're going to have to find people that are into the details and the weeds of operations. And you're going to have to build around you an exceptional team, and you're going to have to become an exceptional leader. Uh, and that takes a lot of uh, – so, so my advice is to read a lot, to observe a lot. Um, my advice is to have a mentor, uh, people that have been there and done it, and maybe two mentors. But people that like you, even love you, that you know have the capability, they've done it before, uh, because you're going to need those kinds of people. But if you understand your industry well enough and you need to, and if you um, have the work ethic and the drive, and if you are humble about things and you know that you're never going to get there alone, that you're going to need other people, um, and if you're kind and good to those people and you develop a good culture inside of your company, They'll hang around and stay, by the way, 11 of the 19 people that were there that day uh, when I delivered the bad news about the bank account being empty. They were there at the end uh, and got to participate in the reward. Who was your biggest mentor, Scott? I think about that often, and I think I had an early uh, sales leader um, in my first company that was fantastic uh, at, at sales training, and he was um, not only an individual that I uh, loved and admired and trusted, uh, he was funny. And he, we'd go out selling together, and he would tell some of the funniest stories or jokes, and he would have people just in fits and starts. Um, so I think on the sales front, I would consider uh, my uh, early mentor, Jay Jeffress, from Colorado Springs, and and. On the other side, uh, on the operations side, I'd have to, to say that my first business partner, David Hogan, he was phenomenal at operations, and he taught me the details great. of caring about um, inventory and warehouses. And I got to tell you, uh, I met you probably six months ago um, at a Rev Road event and listened to you uh, give some advice to entrepreneurs, um, specifically around funding. Um, but I can tell that you're, you're, uh, very passionate about this and you were very knowledgeable. And I took a lot of uh, information that you shared that day, um, to heart and it, it's helped me. Um, so you clearly have a wealth of knowledge, uh, that I think a lot of people could, uh, you know, utilize. Are you, are you active on LinkedIn or how do people find you? How do they kind of, you know, get access to that? One thing, can I say something really quick, <laughs> yeah, Scott? Absolutely. So one thing that, that everyone should know is right now we're in the middle of building and launching a training program. So all this knowledge that Scott has just talked about that's in his brain gets onto, well, gets into video format and maybe into some written format so that we can share that and help other entrepreneurs on an ongoing basis. So I'm oh, really excited awesome. about that. Cool. Yeah, I think that's going to be really good. Uh, AJ's had some phenomenal ideas, he and his team, about how to organize that. And, and so I think when we're done with this project, uh, it's going to be a great benefit uh, not only to perhaps the Rev Road uh, teams uh, uh, and partner companies, but also others. And I think that, uh, you know, I've always said to myself that I'm going to, to the extent that I can, 
I'm going to make myself available to others. And so, yes, I'm available on LinkedIn, and and uh, I can't help everybody, but um, you know, we'll do the best we can. Um, I, I think that I always like to say that you know this you know knowledge like is never free, and it's not like I charge for knowledge. It's what I'm saying is that I've had my ten thousand dollar mistakes, and I've had my hundred thousand dollar mistakes, and my million dollar mistakes and yes unfortunately even you know a few million dollar mistakes and so the the knowledge that i've acquired or the wisdom my old first business partner dave always used to say you know peterson um wisdom uh comes from experience usually bad experience and and you know we're getting some <laughs> and uh so i think that people have to recognize that there's nothing like uh really the school of hard knocks but if you're humble enough to find um really really good mentors who are committed to you they can help you alleviate or eliminate or mitigate a lot of those uh those expensive uh, journeys so you don't have to to suffer what maybe what i did scott it's been a pleasure having you on the midnight founders podcast today thanks for joining us and for sharing some of your story it's been really helpful and fun my pleasure thank you thank you aj and thank you jake pleasure to be here today. Yeah, it was good to get to know you a little bit more. Yep. Thanks.